Amen. Uh, good morning. Just making sure my mic is good. Um, I've been threatened several times by now uh, to get this under 30 minutes, so I'm on the clock, 10:29, and. Um, I also have been issued an ultimatum that if I don't get three people up here by the end, then uh, that's no good either. So um, I'd appreciate some help with that at the end. Uh, no, in all seriousness, um, I, I want to thank you all uh, for welcoming me. Uh, my name is Jared Mannon, here with my wife, Kaylin, and our, our little one. I've been uh, trying to be good about introducing us as a party of three. Our littlest one just isn't out yet. Um, but she is due in July, so it'll, it'll be before long. And um, thank you for letting me speak with you this morning and, and uh, coming to visit with you. And uh, to Bryce, wherever you are, Bryce, for letting me uh, jut in on what's been a really good series so far on living like Jesus. And uh, for all of you in welcoming us. Um, as I was prepping and thinking about what to preach on, uh, I didn't want to hijack Bryce's plan um, there will be some connections this morning with what he's been talking about because every sermon is about Jesus and about uh, the gospel's call on our lives. Um, so I was, I was praying about what God wanted me to share with you this morning. And I actually wanted to start with this and just uh, bragging on you to you a little bit about how blessed you are as a church uh, by your minister and your elders who have been uh, great ambassadors uh, for Christ and for your church and your community. Uh, so, um, so thank you and those of you who we've, who we've gotten to meet. Uh, that's true. In this church body as a whole, it's a, a good place to be. In fact, it's reminded Kaylin and I a little bit of our congregation that we worshiped with when we lived in Austin, Texas a couple years ago. Round Rock is where we gathered. And uh, the church we were part of, it was this just faithful, loving group of people. Some of the elders wore vans, so that was cool. <laughs> the, the preacher was very talented. He was a, a poet and a scholar. He has a podcast now. He's very talented. Kaylin and I sang on the praise team, which was its own kind of little family. But most of all, they just loved Jesus and they loved each other. It was clearly a welcoming church. And I think I'll just say next for the slides, all 167 of them. So, <laughs> so next slide. This was clearly a, a welcoming church. In fact, there was a, they had a welcome committee that they had these yellow shirts that they'd wear in the lobby that said, welcome home. And every visitor that came, they got a mug, they got a little gift basket that all said, welcome home. And uh, so your church has reminded us of that in some ways. This place has a donuts and bacon ministry, so it might be an upgrade. Um, but if you've been around that, this environment is not, it's not easy to do. It doesn't come naturally. It takes intention. And lots of people that visit, they go unnoticed. And it's one thing to say, you belong here, we want you here. It's another thing to actually make that effort. And even if so, we start to kind of have to ask our questions like, why are we doing it? You know, there's a difference between saying like, well, that's what church people are supposed to do and saying like, being actually shaped by Jesus to like, no, we, we really want you here. Uh, there's a, a lot of difference between those two things. So it, it matters who we're looking at. Are we looking at God? Are we looking out? Are we doing both at the same time? Um, 
if Jesus, the individual, Jesus is among us here today, but if the person was here in the building, what would he do? Next slide. This reminded me, as I was asking myself these questions, of a story that Jesus tells in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14. And if you've ever read Luke through all the way, uh, you know that Luke shows Jesus going from this place to this place to this place, and he's healing, and he's teaching, and he's telling these stories, and there's not a lot of clear like markers between one episode and the next. But at the beginning of Luke 14, we get one Sabbath. So you know like this is a new episode that's happening. So if you would, I just want to set the scene of what Jesus is, is going to do in Luke 14. He's, he has all these people following him pretty much everywhere he's going at this point. Crowds surrounding him, people trying to touch him, listening for what he's about to say. And he's invited to the home of what we're told is a, a prominent Pharisee. Um, and if you know, that's not exactly Jesus' friend type. You know, the Pharisees were interested in keeping God's laws, but in doing so, they were just squeezing the life out of relationships and no, showing no concern for the needy. So he was kind of Jesus' opposite in that way. But Jesus goes. He goes to the party of this prominent Pharisee, and he gets there, and there's a man that we're told has an abnormal swelling in his body. We could think of it probably as a tumor, and he needs healing. Jesus heals him. He teaches about the appropriateness of healing on the Sabbath, and then he shares a parable, a picture lesson about where you sit. He says if you go to a party, don't sit at the head of the table in the place of high status because then you might get demoted and that's embarrassing for everyone. He says, take the low seat and then your host might say, no, move up and, and then you can be exalted. And then we get to verse uh, 11 of chapter 14, next slide, with the famous line, for all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And Jesus continues in Luke 14, verse 12, he looks at his host, and remember, this is the prominent Pharisee, everything he said up to this point has been kind of addressing him and his friends discreetly, and he addresses him directly and says, when you give a luncheon or dinner, don't invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, or your relatives, or your rich neighbors, if you do, they may invite you back, and you'll be repaid, but when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And this is important for the context of our passage today. It says, when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you'll be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So, so take care of the needy. And that's a good lesson on its own, right? Apparently one guy thinks so. Next slide. We're told in verse 15 that when one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God, which launches Jesus into his next story. Our text for today, Luke 14, verses 16 through 24. Jesus uh, replies to this man. He says, a certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent a servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Next slide. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I need to go see it. Please excuse me. And another said, I've just bought five yokes of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. 
please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. Are you kidding me? I've got a honeymoon to get to. I can't come. Next slide. We'll get to verse 21. The servant came back, and he reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry, and he ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Same groups as before back in verse 13. Next slide, verse 22. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, but there's still room. Then the master told his servant, go out into the roads and country lanes and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you, not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. So there's a lot going on here, and I realize I just went through that really quickly, but it's an episode that sort of needs its whole context in order uh, for us to understand what's going on. And it's a parable that gets played up really well in the series The Chosen. Has anyone here seen The Chosen? It's a little TV series about uh, a dramatized version of Jesus' ministry based on scripture with some elements added for storytelling. Uh, Kayla and I uh, and some friends have been watching uh, The Chosen uh, every Wednesday, one episode every Wednesday, and we just finished the finale of season three, so we'll have to wait a few months for the next season to come out. But in the, in the previous episode, season three, episode seven, Andrew and Philip, they go rogue, and they share this parable of the banquet, the one we just read, in the Decapolis with a bunch of Jews and Gentiles, and it causes a firestorm. And so they return to the others. They're confounded. They're like, what did we just get ourselves into? Like, they're uh, really frustrated by what they've caused. And that fact is not in Scripture. In the, in the Chosen, they just add that detail of, of Andrew and Philip uh, to set up some dynamics for the next episode and to draw the surface tension uh, of this story. And it is a layered story. In fact, right now, I simply want to, to acknowledge that there are, are many, many sermons that could be preached uh, from this lesson, lesson that Jesus teaches. Next slide. First, it is, it's a scandalous story. This is a parable is clearly a coded message about God's intentions for Jews and Gentiles to be reconciled, which was absolutely unthinkable. In fact, in, in The Chosen, I'm leaning into that a little bit, it's actually Judas that Philip and Andrew come back to, and uh, they're, they're spilling the tea about what all this is causing, and, and Judas sums it up this way. He says, next slide, the Jews understood you to mean that Jesus was calling for Gentiles, and the Gentiles thought you were calling them second class. And then the conservatives who lived by Jeremiah would have heard you saying that the original guests who didn't go to the banquet would miss the party, and those better verses in Isaiah, behold, I'm doing a new thing, were probably emboldened, except that the Gentiles were there. And there's this long, awkward pause. Andrew's like, yeah, that's about right. So everyone who hears this, Jew, Gentile, liberal, conservative, is shocked by it. And that is the key message being telegraphed here, and I don't want to gloss over that this morning. I'm just kind of setting it before us. Another lesson we could, uh, another sermon you could find in this passage, next slide, is uh, uh, the sermon on a call to evangelize, sharing the gospel. 
Next slide. Or the invitation to the kingdom being given to those who we might call the least, the last, and the lost, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Next slide. There's definitely a message often preached rebuking the priorities of the first group that doesn't come to the party. And next slide. And then there's the eschatological message about who accepts salvation, the blessing that God is offering. And I'm not going to focus on any of these messages this morning. I'm just listing them here to acknowledge that they're there and they're important. There are at least this many sermons you could preach from Luke 14. But next slide. If you want the thing in a nutshell, uh, this is how Jesus actually sums it up in, in the finale of The Chosen, which we watched on Wednesday. He says, the meaning of the story is that God wants his house full. And everyone who believes in me is invited, plain and simple. Plain and simple. We could leave it at that, but I want us instead this morning to zero in on the master's reaction to people rejecting his invitation. Next slide. Look again at verse 21. The master has just been turned down cold in at least three different ways, probably many more. And how does he respond? Next slide. I highlighted it in blood red so we can't miss it. He is angry. You can kind of hear the tone in his voice. He said, okay, fine. Go out and get all the needy and invite them. And then in verse 24, after he invites literally everyone else, uptown girls, country bumpkins, you can hear it clearly. He's like, that first group I invited, forget about them. They're never getting in now. He's hot. He's angry. Next slide. And if we're following along, this is the part where we kind of have to take a step back and ask ourselves, why is he so angry? Not sad, not disappointed. He's angry. Why is God so angry? One of my mentors, he's a close friend and a wise man, has a theory that anger is a secondary emotion. Which is to say that when we get angry, there's something tender underneath the anger. And the anger is like our inbuilt defense mechanism to protect that tender thing that's been wounded. We have desires, dreams, hopes, plans, expectations, longings. And when life comes along and stomps on those things, we're upset. We get angry. Remember the master in this story. As we listen to him talk, we kind of have to peek over his shoulder to see what's going on in his kitchen and his living room. We've got fragrances wafting out of the oven. He's probably got like six industrial-sized ovens for all the food he's just made. He's got dozens of tables and hundreds of chairs in his backyard, perfectly spaced. He mowed his lawn. He trimmed the bushes. He even brought in a local band to play. He's been fine-tuning his best parlor tricks and his best dad jokes. Who was the best comedian in the Old Testament? Samson. He brought the house down. <laughs> He's been preparing for this thing. But all that is just the visible evidence of what's going on in his heart. He wants his people to be with him. He's eager. He's excited. He's, he's giddy to share this feast with them but no one comes. He has to reset the timers on his ovens. He has to 
ask the band to go home and come back tomorrow, hopefully. He has to vent his frustrations before he can even think about working himself into that goofy mood again. He's hurt. He's angry. This reminds me of a song I'm sure we all know by Weird Al. Next slide. I don't think I should sing Weird Al from the pulpit, so I'll just read the lyrics, and I won't say the name of the song. If you know it, I'll just let you enjoy that to yourself. But the, the words are, pizza party at your house. I went just to check it out. 19 extra larges. What a shame. No one came. We sat eating all alone. You said, take the pizza home. No sense letting all this go to waste. So then I faced, and it continues. And I always pictured this as a, as a girl, Weird Al, and that gorgeous face of his, sitting at a kitchen table with like this one lonely light just flickering, and maybe some strobe lights and dance music in the background just flashing mockingly as they're just sitting there just like crying into their pizza. And how do you describe that feeling? It's embarrassment? Well, yeah, no one came. It's embarrassing. Disappointment? For sure. Anger? Maybe. And have any of you ever felt this way? Maybe you were having a charcuterie bonanza on a Saturday evening, and people kept pulling out because they just realized that Taylor Swift would be in town. <laughs> Maybe you had a big family trip to Italy planned, and something called COVID-19 messed it all up. Or maybe you had the grandkids over for game night and they kept getting themselves in trouble and you just had to say, okay, you've lost your privileges. That's the story of my life when I was little. <laughs> maybe it was something deeper. Maybe you dreamed about sharing your whole life with someone in marriage and then had a devastating breakup. Or maybe you accumulated years of wisdom and expertise and then basically got the message from your successors no, I don't want any of that. Maybe you had something you really cared about and you just wanted to share it with those you cared about, but they didn't want it. They had bigger fish to fry and it hurt and you got angry. And we've all felt this way to some degree for different things, but imagine how much more so with God. Next slide. Some of us picture the anger of God uh, looking like actually the next slide. God on high, he's thundering from the heavens, he's flashing forth in fury, he's striking these helpless little dirt creatures called humans as soon as we make one bad decision. And maybe it's not that dramatic, maybe it's more mellow, like just, man, if something goes wrong in my life, then that just means God was kind of out to get me, or maybe I earned it. But look at that picture, who is that? That's not God, that's Zeus. That guy does not exist. Next slide. No, no, I, I think I have to agree with my mentor. Anger is a secondary emotion. Why was the master angry in the story in Luke 14? He was angry because of the desire underneath. I've got to share this with someone. Next slide. Because underneath anger is love. Underneath anger is love. Next slide. And see, when we look at, look at it that way, an entirely new picture of this master, 
who, as we'll remember, Jesus is clearly equating with God that's playing in the story. He's a master who's not just like, I've got so much cool stuff, I've just got to show it off to somebody, fetch my acquaintances. No, this is, a, this is a vulnerable picture of a God who is filled with longing. We can picture him almost begging his friends, please come to my party. Please, I want you to be there. Next slide. And in that we hear echoes of another parable, maybe Jesus' most famous parable, the parable of the prodigal son. And we picture the master of, uh, of this house, he's sort of sitting on his rocking chair, on the front porch every day, day after day. And as soon as his son head peeks over the horizon, he is off and running. He wants his son back. He wanted to share his blessing, and he wanted his son, both of his sons, to want to share the blessing back. The God of the Bible, the God of Israel and of the prophets, is often seen bursting out in violent, righteous fury, He destroys entire cities and people groups and even seems to turn on his own chosen people at times, the Israelites. Next slide. But at certain times, the curtain is pulled back and we see the true heart of God in all the destruction. One of those times is in the text that uh, Banks read for us earlier. Zephaniah, I probably don't even need to read it again because I know we all have Zephaniah memorized by heart, but I'll read it again. The author is speaking to the community of Israelites in exile. They're feeling forgotten by God. They're feeling doomed to history. They're feeling locked out of his banquet. And this is the message to that community. Zephaniah 3.17 The Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight in you. In his love he will no longer rebuke you, but he will rejoice over you with singing. He says, I will remove from you all who mourn over the loss of your appointed festivals, which is a burden and a reproach for you. Next slide, verse 19. And at that time, I will deal with all those who oppress you. I will rescue the lame. I will gather the exiles. I will give them praise and honor in every land where they have suffered shame. At that time, I will gather you. At that time, I will bring you home. God is with us. He will save. He will delight in us. He will rejoice over us with singing. What? God? He will rescue us. He will gather us. And especially the needy, just like the master in Luke 14, he will gather us. Next slide. And he will bring us home. Who's home? He says, Mi casa es su casa. My place is yours. That's the heart of the master. Next slide. And don't we need to know this? We each find ourselves in unique spots in the story that Jesus is telling about God's banquet in Luke 14. Who are these people that are invited? Next slide. There are definitely some who are joyfully seated at the table of welcome, and I'm looking out in this room. There are many of you here who have internalized this message You already find yourselves joyfully seated at God's table. You're welcoming others into this community as guests and friends, and praise God for that. And then there are others. Some of us hear the invitation, but it isn't 
really important enough to come along. We forego the opportunity. We have more important things to tend to. Next slide. There are some of us who have a hard time believing we've actually been invited. We're not used to getting invited to things. You're talking to me, God? I'm invited to this? And we're skeptical. And then for some of us, next slide, that skepticism is turned outward at others. They're invited? Really? Them? We're missing the point, just like the older brother in the parable of the prodigal son. Next slide. And then there are some of us who are, who are pretty comfy, letting others take the big swings, send the invites, do the, <clears throat> excuse me, do the dirty work, forgetting that we ourselves are each the product of someone else's dirty work, whether that was last week or a family faith that's been modeled well down the centuries, the dirty work being sharing the gospel. And we have enough people in here that I'd bet we have each of these categories covered, but also we all have better and worse moments uh, where we each probably fit into these categories at different times. But I said I wasn't going to preach that sermon, so I'll simply, I'll leave it at that and allow the Holy Spirit to impact us as he will. But what I do want to leave us with are, are two things, a statement and an invitation. Next slide. The statement is that God will have his banquet full. Luke 14, 23. He's excited. He's compelled to share his banquet with whomever is going to answer. And the invitation is to light the Father's heart and join the feast. The communion we shared earlier is the heavenly banquet on a small scale. It's a small taste of the real thing that we will all get to enjoy together in glory. And as siblings in Christ, we get to share it in other ways too. All are welcome. Join the feast. Next slide. So thank you again for welcoming me and Kaylin and our family this morning. And if you're a visitor or a member here and the Lord has touched your heart, um, I want to say that the invitation is open. I made that in 26 minutes. So please, if you feel the Lord stirring your heart, you're invited as we sing together.